0: This is an AMI podcast. You're listening to the Kitchen Confession Podcast with Chef Mary Mammoliti.
1: Winemakers deal with vintage. During harvest, they begin the creation of that vintage's wine, and they'll work on that for as long as necessary it is what makes wine precious and special what wine does is capture our history traps a year in a bottle and it it has the essence of the place that it's grown it has the essence of the cellar it was raised in
0: i'm mary mamoliti and this is the kitchen confession podcast We've been chatting with some taste experts to learn more about developing our palates. Today, we're talking to Caroline, owner of the Grange of Prince Edward Winery. So tell me a little bit about the winery, about yourself, how you ended up doing this, getting involved in in Um,
1: winemaking. So around here, um, often, particularly if you're talking to my parents, it's all my fault. Um, So the Grange, is actually established and located on the family farm that my father bought when I was a little girl. I came back uh, to the country to the farm after leaving for quite a while with three small children and the only thing I knew at that time was that I really wanted them to have the same childhood. I had to have the freedom that living in the country Offers children uh, the idea to start planting grapes. I think on the farm um, g- grew in, in my thoughts because I came back just as the discovery that vinifera grapes really could grow in Prince Edward County, and I think uh, the little idea I had to. To plant ten acres on the family farm was part of that sort of grand experiment.
0: Did you know anything about winemaking?
1: No, at a high level, I knew. Uh, I understood um, what made wine great, and the the thinking and the the farming behind um, wine mm-hmm. in general. Um, and, and I did go back to school and took a boatload of, of you know, viticulture and, and um, chemistry and ecology and micro-fermenter processes. Like, it, it actually was a lovely, lovely course. Mm-hmm. But what I did know was the farm and farming – how farming works on a farm, before I started thinking about anything else.
0: That's what I find so inspiring about your story is that you had this idea and you made it happen.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. and, and really it was, I, I guess, I, I'm a deep-end kind of woman, right? If you want to try something, then try it. So we planted ten acres on the farm. The idea caught root. We uh, started—no pun (laughs) Uh, intended—and we. Oh, it's early. Uh, And then the idea just just grew. Like it it seemed to develop a life of its own, and that period between when we first went in the ground. 2007 are a little blurry in my memory because there was so much learning that was happening. There were so many new things that were being developed on the farm. And I still had three, you you know, school-aged children. So that's a lot to take on. Yeah. But when you, when you jump in with both feet, Mm -hmm. you don't end up having to, to, you know, worry about anything because you're so deeply in it now you're just doing and learning and the tough thing about doing and learning is in farming and in winemaking you only get to do and learn once a year so you have to pay attention.
0: So how long does it take for a vine to mature in order to be ready to actually produce wine from that?
1: So you get your first crop about 30 months after you go into the ground, it's generally somewhere between you know 25 and 50 percent of um, what might come to be a typical yield. But there are a lot of folks that argue and, and certainly my experience would tell me that you need seven years to really start seeing what the plants can offer. Meanwhile, you better use that time to start figuring out how you want to make wine, um, what the expression of your place might be. Uh, This was an entirely new place. Everyone was going in the ground with great hopes, and the outcomes were a little mysterious. Science will tell you some things, but terroir expresses itself um in interesting ways and and so really you have to wait and see what the land is going to give you
0: i could be wrong but the age of the vine itself produces a different type of grape yep so it could be the same it could be the same family of grapes but a younger vineyard a younger vine would produce something one way as as comparison to an older vine
1: right Well, there's an evolution, yes. And I think it's generally agreed that older vines produce more interesting fruit. But you've invested decades into getting to older
0: vines. Yeah, and then, you know, something terrible comes along and you're kind of sitting there going, what do I do now?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the difference between wine and the other beverage alcohols, right? because winemakers deal with vintage. So during harvest, they begin the creation of that vintage's wine, and they'll work on that for as long as necessary. Whereas beer um, and spirits can start and complete uh, different batches of their product over and over again throughout the year. I think that that it is what makes wine precious and special. What wine does is capture our history, traps a year in a bottle, and it it has the essence of the place that it's grown. It has the essence of the cellar it was raised in. I mean, it's, it's particularly noticeable from the small, wineries around the world.
0: Your winery, the Grange Winery, uses traditional methods. We do. What are those methods and how do those methods differ from large producers?
1: Uh, we stick to basics. Okay. Uh, so we don't uh, So you're not stomping with your feet. To... You're... <laughs> I am, no, that would be really, really traditional <laughs> yeah. and and uh... <laughs> Probably a lot of fun, um, but no, I do use equipment, right? Uh, so I have pumps. We can pump the 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 must and the juice around, um, so we don't have to use buckets. And I have a destemmer, so we don't have to take the berries off the stems. And I have a press so we don't have to squish the grapes Mm -hmm. (laughs) but beyond that we tend to let nature take its course so we're fairly non-interventionist we're not trying to manipulate the wines to suit our preferences, I guess would be the simplest way to put that.
0: Yeah, so when your wine's fermenting, you, you kind of let it do its thing. I do, Would yes. Would larger chains and larger producers try and speed that process up to produce more of it, I guess? Uh...
1: Well, you're not going to get more. Um, you might Sorry, get faster. it faster. You may be able to push sort of the perfect fermentation conditions um, into the environment and into the wine. Um, you can introduce yeast cultures that vary the profile of the wine. Um, you can create cultures that are quite robust and they'll get along with the business of uh, converting all of that beautiful, beautiful grape sugar into alcohol um, more quickly. Uh, in some ways, it's arguable that getting through primary fermentation quickly reduces your risk. But I have found that, that slower fermentations derived from sort of uh, the inherent yeast culture in the fields and in the cellar uh, yield very interesting results. You don't see that in the same way in big brands because like all big brands, and here I, I, I'm gonna say it because it's true, all big brands look for um, homogeneity, right? They want to deliver to people the same every year. The, their idea of a sustainable brand is one that people can grow to, Um, count on and expect it to taste in a certain way. I often joke it's like Coca-Cola, right? You expect Coca-Cola to always taste like Coke. Um, But I would never personally have those same expectations about a wine that I was hoping to drink. In fact, I'd be looking for the differences from year to year
0: your wine the almanacs are designed to change over time but the big producers that always have that more consistent
1: product right and it it is that like we actually deliberately chose the word almanac um, because almanacs um, particularly farmers almanacs are designed to give you a snapshot of a year and That's what these wines are. They're a snapshot of a specific year on the farm from the red perspective and from the white perspective. So we blend all our white grapes that we grow into the white, and that's Chardonnay, Pinot, Gris, and Riesling. And we blend all the reds, Gamay, Pinot Noir, and Cab Franc into the red blend. However how much of each goes in is dictated by nature, by the vintage year. It reflects the bounty of the farm. We developed a labeling format that identifies in descending order um, the grapes that are in the bottle. It's always the same three grapes. It might be that Pinot Noir would appear first and then Gamay and then Cab Franc or, uh, as was the case in the vintage, I believe it was uh, 2014, uh, was Cabernet Franc, Gamay and then Pinot Noir. So we have a way of communicating with folks and and letting them know uh, from the label. Uh, what's in the bottle, but really what's in the bottle is the picture of the year.
0: This is the Kitchen Confession podcast. We're talking to Caroline, owner of the Grange of Prince Edward Winery. You mentioned um, Prince Edward County was a developing wine region.
1: That's true.
0: How does the climate affect our crops?
1: Anyone can talk about uh, elements or attributes of wines from around the world, that are kind of unique and the uniqueness of the fruit that grows in different regions is driven in two ways from the ground from the earth where it grows and then there are other elements of the ground that add differences or interests to the fruit that you grow and then where you get vintage variation um, is the way that uh, weather plays out every year. We tend to look at uh, a data set that's about 100 years long and, and say that on average, you might have this temperature in the winter, this temperature in the summer, this much rainfall, this much humidity things like that are predicted in climate data. Weather is how you get those averages, right? And weather, in my opinion, often has a a blatant disregard for climate. (laughs) But that does drive vintage variation. If the weather was the same every year, if the weather was a direct reflection of the climate, Mm -hmm. The wines that we make would be the same every year. And in fact, what's interesting about wine, what's beautiful about wine, is its ability to reflect a year. It's why we label the wines uh, by vintage. They're vintage specific, because each year gives you a unique set of conditions that create The fruit that that becomes the wine. Does that make sense?
0: It does. So the climate, depending on whether it's warm, hot, uh, rainy conditions, that determines what type of grape you're going to grow.
1: In effect, yes. You know, the hundred-year set or that average of weather would tell you what kind of plant
0: can survive. You might
1: be successful growing in that region. But then from year to year you have weather that creates variances in the actual fruit that you're able to produce. This can get as 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 narrow as sometimes I'll make Pinot Noir that's only from a certain field or only a certain part of a certain field because it tastes different. So You know, apart from any wine that's made that's terroir-driven, is inherently a niche product. There's always a finite amount of it. And, of course, that's compounded by the fact that you can only pick once a year and you get what you get. You know, Mother Nature is, in some years, generous. And in some years, less generous. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm editing. Yes, I know. <laughs> Sometimes less generous aren't the words I'm thinking. Exactly, but... yeah.
0: A couple of other choice words you probably have.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I mean, think about it. Your entire future production is tied up in uh, you know months worth of growing mm-hmm. that is always fragile always at the mercy of nature
0: so what type of fruit can we produce here as, as opposed to in
1: ontario yeah
0: as opposed to so when i went to california um they have pinos they have uh shiraz or and there's this Uh, There's specific grapes, I guess, that I'm what I'm trying to get at is that they use for these these types of vintages.
1: Interestingly, um, you often see in very mature wine regions, the regions becoming specialists for certain varietals. Um, The warmer the climate, they tend to skew toward the bigger, heavier reds. For example, everyone would know this, they grow Zinfandel in California. They do not grow Zinfandel in Ontario. One of the most widely planted grapes in um, Ontario is Riesling. And Riesling is quite celebrated from Ontario. In Prince Edward County, and I do grow Riesling, but when I started planting, uh, on on our family farm. My first thought was for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay mm-hmm. uh, for two reasons. One, because the soil really seemed to lend itself to those varieties, but also the climate seemed to be suitable, right? We had a long enough growing season. We do not have as long a growing season as California, for example. So um lots of folks talk about uh challenges in some years ripening uh grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon that require a longer hang time. Oh, um, okay. Generally accepted varieties, uh certainly or ones that are more broadly planted uh for Ontario would be Uh, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Riesling, Um, there is some Sauvignon Blanc.
0: Are these specific types of grapes that that are named?
1: Yeah, those are plant names, grape grape names. So they're an actual Vitis vinifera variety. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There are lots and lots of them. Some that are common around the world and some that are specific to different... Uh, Countries or regions within countries. Um, The ones I mentioned are certainly planted around the world. You talk about uh, Pinot Noir from California. Uh, The most famous Pinot Noir region in the world, in my opinion, is Burgundy. Mm -hmm. It's so associated with Burgundy that people just call the wine Burgundy. They don't mention Pinot Noir. Um, but that's the grape variety that's in it. In the same way that Beaujolais is Gamay, but we know that they grow Pinot Noir beautifully in Oregon. They grow it in New Zealand as well. Pinot Noir tends to be most beautiful in those edgier places in the world. The, The vines are challenged more. So, of course, because all grape growers and winemakers uh, say things like this, we think that Prince Edward County um, offers a unique set of uh, terroir and climactic conditions that will allow us to produce a very unique and beautiful Pinot Noir to add to the to the global spectrum.
0: Oh, and I love Pinot. Who?
1: love Pinot, it goes with everything. I think I found two <laughs>
0: right. people in this entire planet that don't like Pinot. Um, <laughs> which I was shocked. But so I guess that leads me back to when we were talking about how Prince Edward County was developing as a wine
1: region. Right. Uh, and it hasn't been that long. A uh, couple of decades, really. I mean, There were a couple of... Uh, there was one planting in the mid-80s and another in the early 90s um, and I think that those two visionary folks kind of sparked the imagination of a handful of folks and it it built uh, in the beginning actually rather slowly. Everyone was excited but cautious. I remember um, some of the local farmers coming to talk to my dad and saying, why on earth would you let her do that? (laughs) Really? Well, you know, compared to other forms of farming, there are a couple of challenges for that because climactically, Prince Edward County is the second driest region in Ontario. Cash crops usually need a, a good amount of rain to really produce bountiful crops. So I think that farmers in the county were often challenged by that. The other problem in, in my neck of the woods on the west side of the county is that uh, our, our first and best crop is rocks. <laughs> so these are rough, 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 rocky, gravelly soils. You, you know, the, the joke has always been um, you know, in the spring, go out and pick your crop of rock <laughs> or you're going to regret it, right? Because it'll just rip your equipment apart. Really? Uh, I did not realize yeah, it was but, that dry. Yeah, but, so our heads grow. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the and this is actually important when you're thinking about grapes. The um, bedrock is non-construction grade calcium-based limestone. That's awesome for growing grapes on. It's, it's got a very distinctive uh, mineral profile. But what it means is that we're growing on fragile rock that is susceptible to penetration by water and of course by um, large plant roots. And when you get the frost in, every winter it actually breaks the rocks apart so we we are constantly uh producing new gravel as as winters play out in the in the calcium underpinning the land that is so interesting yeah it is till you you know you're cultivating or, Trying to dehill and you hit a big old rock and I can imagine that (laughs) wouldn't go go very well. Another another visit to your best friend, the welder, right?
0: (laughs) You know, it'd probably be more cost effective to have a welder in the family.
1: (laughs) I'm working on it. You know, I have three children. I am lucky, lucky that my my uh, daughter decided to to join me and help me and work with me and, and, um, you know, share her vision for the farm. Mm-hmm. But neither of the boys have shown any proclivity to wanting to, uh, well, yeah. you know, yeah. and
0: we'll have to work on that. I have
1: encouraged it numerous <laughs> I'm
0: times. I'm sure. Wouldn't
1: you like to do <laughs> this, honey?
0: I wanted to end with something for our uh, listeners. What's something that might surprise our listeners about life on a farm?
1: Well, I know uh, something that surprises our visitors often because I think when we live in the city and we think about farming, we think about this connection to nature, idyllic places with. Plants waving in the breeze, you know, this sunshine coming down. And when they come and visit, uh, particularly during harvest, they're often surprised that um, a farm is actually noisier. And what's the right word? It's Farms are the place where... Um, humans sort of match themselves against nature and you know there is that struggle to try to wrestle your crop out of mother nature's hands and there are years where she seems like she doesn't want to give it to you at all (laughs) (laughs) so it, it can seem a little bit more Like, I don't want to say a battle zone that sounds terrible, but (laughs) there's more struggle. There is more challenge and there's more struggle than people imagine. It's a lot of hard work to farm and probably also dirtier than people think it's going to be, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Given that it involves a lot of dirt.
0: Even hearing all this, after talking to you, I still want to come and live with you guys. Uh, well, you know,
1: I I'm <laughs> live totally on the farm. That I just have this one rule: everyone who lives on the farm works on the
0: farm. I'm in. I'm done. I'm doing it.
1: <laughs> no more okay. city living
0: for me. It's that time we've reached the end of another show. Be sure to visit kitchenconfession.com for more recipes and foodie finds. I'd like to thank producer and editor Matt Agnew, and I'm Mary Mammoliti. See you at the next episode.